in this episode with Sophie Maud. But it never really became a problem until I was at school. Um, just OCD getting more severe and with the anxiety, um, it started to affect my mood like after school hours and um, just being angry and anxious and upset all the time. Uh, just because being undiagnosed at that point, it meant that I struggled because my brain obviously processes and learns things different to other people's brains. So when I was in a classroom and had a teacher teaching me a certain way um, to how my brain isn't really like uh, react to that kind of learning, it was stressful because it was extra pressure um, just because I wasn't really retaining any information and it was holding me back. Um, yeah, so I guess that's like how it affected me, but it was more so as I started to get older in school, like eight or nine, that's when it was like a real issue because it got in the way of making friends. And then also as like word got about that I had Tourette's and OCD, then people in the class would, you know, try and make me tick or try and trigger my OCD. So then that became a big thing. And then in the end, I got taken out of school, both my, um, the child uh, younger than me, the middle child and I, we started homeschooling. And then that's when I started to get out of my shell again a bit more. I uh, started to learn the way that I learn, our brains uh, learn. So yeah, yeah, that was cool. Don't get me wrong. I love standing on a stage with everyone looking at me. <laughs> But there's nothing I love more than songwriting with my producer in like studio and then having like our friend who also does songwriting, like things like that, how there's just a bunch of minds getting creative. But when it's every single day, um, it's keeping you at like a certain level of being like knocked down, you know. Um, yeah, and the impacts can be like crazy. Like, obviously, that added to my anxiety. And when my anxiety's worse, it makes my OCD worse, which makes my turrets worse because it's all, like, connected. Um, yeah, it got to the point where we had to be taken out of school, obviously. When I was about seven or eight, I was diagnosed with OCD. And then when I was about, oh, about seven with OCD, eight with Tourette's, mm. um, it took years to get... Um, a ASD, an autism diagnosis. It's probably like 13 or 14. And then right. I was recently diagnosed with ADHD about a year ago, which okay. you'd think would be the first thing diagnosed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. It's, but with that comes um, accessibility to medication that you might need. For me, ADHD meds is the change of life itself like right. i wouldn't be able to sit here and have a conversation with you if i didn't take my meds
Sophie, you are a singer-songwriter, mm-hmm. and uh, from what I've what I've read and what I've seen and what I've listened to, uh, a pretty good one on the rise, uh, which is which is fantastic. So congratulations on that. Thank you. And we'll get to that in in more detail. But I'd like to, if I can, go back a little bit mm-hmm. um, to your childhood and. Talk talk about <laughs> talk about uh, who you were character wise as a young person. What it was like growing up for you, your family, where you lived, mm-hmm. just so that we've got a little bit of context to, as to cool. who Sophie is and where you've come from. Is that all right? Yeah. So I grew up in a really really nice big house in Bethlehem. So kind of like the family dream. Um, had a like really nice lifestyle block. I had a lot of freedom and um, just, you know, space and loads of friends growing up. Um, but my life was pretty ruled by OCD, so severe, uh, yeah, obsessive compulsive disorder and uh, Tourette's and ADHD and stuff like that. So it was pretty interesting adding it into the mix. But honestly, like, Despite all that, I still look back and, like, I actually do miss my childhood because it still was um, separate from the OCD and the other challenges. I was given, like, a really good childhood. So, um, yeah, I I still look back and I see the happy memories, but then aside from that, I also see, like, the challenges that wasn't just for me but my whole family and also my siblings that grew up with their own challenges and diagnosis uh, diagnoses and oh, you say it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so. so, so how many of you? How many siblings have you got? I have two younger brothers. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so, were you the boss? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, nah, it's always the middle child. It's the middle child. <laughs> All right. So you grew up in, in Bethlehem, and mm-hmm. um, so what were some of the happy memories? What were some of the things that you remember that um, might have shaped who you who you? Yeah. Become? Well, we had um, a big pool, so we always used to have the neighbourhood kids come over and we'd ride our bikes. We were really lucky to be in, like, um, it was like a, a section of houses. So it was like a private, you know, you'd go down the driveway and there was all these big houses with gardens all round in a circle. And so all the kids and I would always, like, um, get our bikes and drive around uh, yeah, bike around like the driveways and stuff like that. Yeah, so it was really cool. All your best friends lived really close to you. Um, yeah, so it was it was really cool growing up, just constantly having friends um, to hang out with. I guess a lot of most people have that growing up, but it was really cool just having like a bunch of friends that all lived so close by to you. So that was definitely like a, a big part of my childhood. Yeah, and we'd always have family like parties at our house, like. Um, New Year's Eve parties and stuff like that. So it was always um, loads of people in the house, loads of animals. We'd have like chickens, pet chickens that would sometimes come in our house and sit on our knee while we'd like eat breakfast and stuff <laughs> like that. Loads of doves and ducks and fish and frogs, animals like cats and dogs. Yeah, so always loads cool. of things going on. Sounds really cool. Yeah, that's, that's good. And so what, what were you like as a child? Were you, were you shy and introverted or were you a bit out there and extroverted I don't mom you're probably better to answer that question (laughs) (laughs) um I don't know uh I was very I think as a child 
I had no boundaries that probably came with the ADHD and being on the spectrum. But if I didn't like something, I'd say it. Um, but I don't think I was a difficult child, maybe as I got a little bit older. But, <laughs> um, but I remember once I kind of, yeah, I was very out there and expressive. Um, I wasn't shy at all. But then when it got to school, I kind of caved in and I was very much goody two shoes and didn't even say anything, let alone speak back to the teacher. So I think that's kind of when I started to get back in my shell. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and you've, you've talked about um, ADHD and, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, you have conditions or disorders, whatever is the right word for that. Forgive yeah. me. Um, when, when did... When did that sort of become a, a factor or a feature? When did you or your family know that that was what you were dealing with or what they were dealing with as well, I suppose? Um, yeah. When did that come about? Well, my mum's got a background in nursing, so she picked a lot of this stuff up when I was about three years old. Um, but it never really became a problem until I was at school. Um, just OCD getting more severe and with the anxiety... Um, it started to affect my mood, like after school hours and um, just being angry and anxious and upset all the time. Uh, just because being undiagnosed at that point, it meant that I struggled because my brain obviously processes and learns things different to other people's brains. So when I was in a classroom and had a teacher teaching me a certain way um, to how my brain isn't really like uh, react to that kind of learning. It was stressful because it was extra pressure um, just because I wasn't really retaining any information and it was holding me back. Um, Yeah, so I guess that's like how it affected me, but it was more so as I started to get older in school, like eight or nine, that's when it was like a real issue because it got in the way of making friends. And then also as like word got about that I had Tourette's and OCD, then people in the class would, you know, try and make me tick or try and trigger my OCD. So then that became a big thing. And then in the end, I got taken out of school. Both my um, the child uh, younger than me, the middle child, and I, we started homeschooling. And then that's when I started to get out of my shell again a bit more. I uh, started to learn the way that I learn, our brains uh, learn. So, yeah, yeah, that was cool. So, I mean... Mum being a nurse and, and being able yeah. to spot things early on was probably a, an advantage because I imagine there's, there's a lot of people who would be on the spectrum and just not know it. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of people I meet every day, like <laughs> my mum and I always laugh because we can just see someone walking and we'll like self-diagnose them on the spot, like yeah, definitely on the spectrum, <laughs> just the way they're walking. But no, yeah, the amount yeah. of people that they have no idea that uh, the, the reason that they struggle or they can't focus is literally just because their brain is wired a little different. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, it's just, I think, a lack of overall knowledge um, on how it actually affects people instead of just the stereotypes can have a lot to do with it. But I think these days it's becoming a whole lot more um, well-known. I wouldn't say common because it's just more people are picking up that they have things as opposed to more people having ADHD or OCD, it's just people actually realising it in themselves. Yeah, so an increased awareness of, of it yeah. and knowledge of it so that 
like you say, it's not necessarily that there's more of it. We just mm-hmm. know it exists. Yeah, exactly. And knowing is, <clears throat> I would imagine, is is half of the mm. battle, if that's the right word. I suppose if you don't know yeah. that your child is has, has got, a, you know, a disorder of any kind, then just... how do you help support and manage them? Yeah, and also exactly um, not acknowledging what it is, then you can't really treat it if you like. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or, or understand. Yeah, exactly. Both my parents, both of them are on the spectrum and when they were younger, it like affected either their learning or their ability to cope and socialise and stuff like that in school. But back then it was considered behaviour or stupidity or something like that if they're not learning the way that they were being taught. Um, Mm. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, I suppose like <coughs> stereotypes, and you've mentioned that word, I think, already. You know, What's that, sorry? The stereotypes, you know, a bit of, of, of the, around that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, people, I think, you know, kids especially, we try and think back, way back to my childhood, too far back, but, you know. Um, <laughs> Would be here for hours. <laughs> <laughs> thinking about, you know, how you view people who are different. But as you, as you grow older, um, you realise everyone's different. Mm, and actually so being true. different, it's, it's almost better to be so different much than better. to be one of a crowd, right? Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I'm on the spectrum because I look at um, people my age that have literally like moulded into what you're supposed to be in society. Like, and it's just so boring. Like, oh my gosh, like I can actually allow myself and be comfortable myself to be quirky and weird and like laugh and have a good time with my friends. Um, but hurt someone my age that might like be like, oh no, that's too weird. Like to be that open with my friends. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just love it. I love having a different perspective on life because I'll just like, I'll, I might be outside staring at like an ant or a moth or something and I'll just like staring at it for like 10 minutes. I'm just like amazed by it. But then someone else that might not be on the spectrum is like, it's a moth. It's oh, an yeah. ant, you or know. They, or they might not yeah. even see it. Yeah, I just love how I um, see the world um, and how I process colour and things around me. It's just so much more bright and happy to me. I guess I'm naturally a happy person, but a lot of that has to do with, you know, how hard it was growing up with being on the spectrum and stuff. And now that it's nowhere near as complicated, I'm just happy to be alive. <laughs> yeah. So, Same so, things. So I suppose, Sophie, is there, is there an element of, you know, once you're being diagnosed, it's helpful to you because then you know that your perspective mm. might be slightly different. When yeah. You, can you think back to when you were a child maybe and you weren't diagnosed or didn't necessarily mm. know what you know today? Mm. Was that Was that difficult? Being, diff- being different, and I'm using yeah. the word different with yeah. inverted commas here, but how people might see you as being different, but you might feel different or might struggle to get understand why people yeah. have got their attitudes that they've got. Yeah, and I mean, like, obviously you were treated different too in school, not just by students, but very much by teachers as well. I think uh, when I was at school and definitely when my parents and you guys were at school, there was a, a very much a lack of understanding and compassion because People would view it as behaviour. Um, yeah, but definitely in like people my age because I knew that I was different but I didn't really think that there was anyone else that was like me, if you like. So it was very much a, um isolation kind of thing and I think that's why in school um, I did 
kind of creep into my shell, um, just having students and teachers not understand, and so they'd treat you different or they'd get frustrated if you weren't actually learning. Um, and because I was so shy and I was like a goody two-shoes, like I would hate to um, have all eyes on me or the teacher pull me aside and get angry at me. Like I'd hate that. But um, obviously um, because I wasn't able to learn anything and um, retain anything, it, it did frustrate like people around me. Um, but now that I know everything, I um, – I don't know, I just like love myself so much more because um, not many people my age or any age can like understand themselves and embrace themselves and actually like are glad to be who they are. Um, and I also like, you know, I've I've got a lot of people that are a bit younger than me um, that also have the same struggles that are able to look up to me and be like, oh, you're like she actually likes who she is. Um, but I didn't have that. So the fact that I'm able to do that, like, for other people mm. is, like, really cool. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Been a role model, yeah. yeah. Something you were talking about there that <clears throat> I was probably thinking about, you know, the need for us to understand. I've, I've doing some writing in the minute and, mm -hmm. and, you know, in a different kind of space, we do a lot of work on leadership and, you know, to be a leader, really, cool. to be a, a good leader, you need to understand people that what you work with, so that you can help provide them, support yeah. them, being the best that they can be. <clears throat> and the, the first part of that is to understand yourself, because you can't understand others if you can't understand yourself. Mm. And it seems to me that you know, from what you were saying there, you know, you've you've got this kind of opportunity now to go through life. Mm. You do understand yourself. You can embrace that mm. and and use that as a positive as opposed to it being a struggle. Yeah, 100%. Going forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just wonder whether, you know, you're thinking again out loud. I told you about this, mm -hmm. didn't I? Yeah. Um, thinking out loud here about, you know, I wonder how many, how many kids, you know, are undiagnosed on the spectrum somewhere, shape or form. Mm. Might be struggling at school, might be seen as behavioral issues, you know. How much easier would it be for children at school and how much easier would it be for teachers if we all knew a bit more about each other? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? think, yeah, and I think that applies to everything in life. Like, um, that's so true. Um, definitely with, like, the needing to understand each other and the compassion that comes with that. But also when it has, like, a lack of understanding about other people and yourself, I feel like, when there's positions of power, sometimes ego can come into place as well when there's not um, understanding for people um, below you. So, I don't know, just throwing stuff out there, but, um, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> so if, you, if you go back to when, when were you, sorry, when were you diagnosed yeah. formally? Um, when I was about seven or okay. eight, I was diagnosed with OCD. And then when I was about, oh, about seven, with OCD, eight with Tourette's. Mm. Um, took years to get um, a ASD, an autism diagnosis. It's probably like 13 or 14. And then right. I was recently diagnosed with ADHD about a year ago, which okay. you'd think would be the first thing diagnosed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. It's, but with that comes mm. um, accessibility to medication that you might need. For me, ADHD meds is 
the change of life itself. Like right. I wouldn't be able to sit here and have a conversation with you if I didn't take my meds. Okay. What would that be like then? Just to, just to, oh, out of interest, what would yeah. it be like if you weren't? Yeah, I'd just medication? not be able to process any questions um, being said to me. It would all go in one ear and out the other without retaining any information. Um, and with that, I wouldn't be able to have an answer. And even if I did have an answer for something, I start to trail off once I've started like saying the first sentence, I forget what the question was and then I forget what the answer is. Mm. Um, and that's what it was like at school for me. Um, it's what it's been like for my whole life until last year or the year before that when I started medication. So yeah, it's, it's good now because I can actually do things like songwriting and um, multitasking, which I wasn't able to do before, so. Yeah. So is that, so is that, forgive my ignorance, um, <laughs> so is that purely a concentration thing? You cannot concentrate on something yeah. long enough to, like you say, to, yeah. to listen to the question and formulate things. an answer? Yeah, concentration, definitely. Um, processing is a big thing. Um, and just retaining information. Um, yeah, just like by the time mm. you retain something, you've forgotten again, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. So you can see how that would be a massive problem at school. Yeah, and everyday life, trying to have conversations yeah. with people. Yeah, so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so what about, if you don't mind sharing, what about yeah. some of the other symptoms that yeah, like um, with, with Tourette's? And, so again, maybe I'll ask a question first before that. So um, ASD, mm -hmm. Autistic Spectrum Disorder, is that right? I've got that right? Something like that? Is yeah, I've got... I so, <laughs> and, and so is that something... Separate, or is that <clears throat> what the umbrella under which yeah. Tourette's and OCD come under? I think because everything on the spectrum is connected anyway. I haven't met someone that has ADHD that doesn't have uh, maybe like an anxiety tick or somebody with OCD that doesn't have ADHD and someone, in, you know, it's so on. It's all the spectrum and it's, it's this one big like blur, like this one merge and there's so many parts of the spectrum that it's not like a category, but people have to kind of categorize it so that you can get a diagnosis and things like that, break it down a little. Um, yeah, for me, I guess it is like my personality. Um, somebody might um, choose to be quiet when they've met someone new, but for me, I have to go up like, hi, I'm Sophie, what's your neighbor? Um, that would be like, um, the ASD side of me because I kind of don't care and I want to get out there whereas someone else might think, oh, that's like socially a bit weird or, you know, so, it, but I, I like having that, um, that confidence that comes with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's how I would see it. Do I mean, when you yeah. arrived here today, I just saw a confident person walk oh, in, I'm, I'm you know, glad, I'm glad. so it just comes across that way. Mm -hmm. That's good. Cause, uh, when I was a bit younger, it was like, really bad because I didn't know like lines of boundary and this is for everyone with ASD um sometimes people learn like I did what what lines you don't cross in society um and but a lot of people don't ever learn those lines um for me when I was like 14 13 14 like I wouldn't know when to stop talking or when to uh, stop being weird or things like that but it did get me in a lot of trouble because obviously friends and stuff like that I couldn't really make friends that weren't on the spectrum who also didn't know those boundaries um, but I'm actually really grateful for those experiences because now I can still uh, you know get through everyday life um, 
fine when it comes to social stuff because I do know those boundaries so I don't you know it's not I don't feel restrained because as a person I never restrain myself but I'm able to like keep myself calm and cool through like um, experiences in life where I have to have like a professional side to me um, which is really good uh, I was going to say something else but I can't remember that's all, right. that's all good that's all good um, so I was going to say in relation to that um, which I've almost forgot Bear with me. <laughs> See, happens to me too. I've got some meds in my bag, mate. <laughs> Good on you. I was going to say about, um, you know, your ability to be able to explain, you know, your character um, and, you know, how your perspective and how you see the world and, and the things that are going on for you. Your, your openness, willingness mm. to share that mm. is removing, I would imagine, what would be barriers for a lot of people who weren't prepared yeah, to share. Yeah, because exactly. Because then people can't understand. Yeah. They only form perspectives mm -hmm. based on what they know. And if they don't know enough, yeah. they'll get it wrong. Mm -hmm. So your ability to be able to share like that means the whole world can be your friend, right? Because everyone yeah, can understand hopefully. you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you learn pretty fast people that are very close off and don't want to have anything to do with you when you're open. But that way it's so much easier because then you can just wow. move on to the next yeah, person. Yeah, exactly. They're not worth having as friends, right? Yeah. And then like um, part of me naturally as a person, I'm very like um, – very sometimes I can take things to heart like uh recently I had this car like driving up my ass and obviously this was just before I like did my restricted test and I could not believe that this guy who was in like his 30s or 40s had a passenger was going up my ass with my learners played on I got to a point where I had to like illegally pull over because I was so like scared about it flipped me off and I was driving fast had a little cry about it that like that night because I have to take things personally sometimes but <laughs> So sometimes when I'm like, oh, like that person clearly like doesn't like like how open I am, um, part of me is like, why? Like that's so lame. Like why are you so close off? But then I'm just like, oh, well, that's like yeah, good yeah. as somebody else. So yeah. sometimes I can be like take things personally because it's not how I see the world. I get so confused how people can just so easily like judge people or have like be mean. Like you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It's not how I see the world. But then, like, I'm just like, oh, fuck you, bro. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I think we're all made of the same stuff, aren't we? But we're yeah. structured kind of, kind of differently. <clears throat> and the thing is, I think everybody's different every day. Yeah. So we don't know, you know, what's going on for them either. They don't know what's going on for you. Exactly. You don't know what's going on for them. They could have had a really bad day. They could be on the spectrum for all we know. Well, we like. don't know. <laughs> you know. It could, could be anything going on for them. So <clears throat> I mm -hmm. think it's a case of <clears throat> not... You know, it's all right for me to say this, but I, yeah. I've learned this over the years. I'm sharing this with you now because, mm -hmm. I, you know, I used to take things really to heart too mm -hmm. and personal. And so what I've learned to do is realise that actually I don't know what's going on for them. Yeah. It's not about me. It's about them. That's the best thing you can, move you can on do. From it. Yeah, because then it has, even if you don't know what's going on, there's still a level of understanding and compassion yeah. because it doesn't matter um, anyone, everyone in the world that's like really shitty or um, it's negative or anything. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, there would have been some reason that yeah. they're like that. Yeah. doesn't matter what it is, so they have something going on. Absolutely. Um, and you just have to, like, understand with compassion, move on until they're ready to, like, you know, get better or yeah. whatever, have a better day. Um, but there's no point getting negative at it um, because then it's just adding to that energy, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, for sure. Can I, I, I want to go back a little bit if I can and, and there's a reason for this because I, it's sort of leading to you being homeschooled but mm -hmm. if we can just like touch on 
what we're talking about here, but back at school. Mm-hmm. So you were diagnosed with some aspects mm-hmm. um, when you were at school, if I'm if I'm right. You were yeah, seven, the right? the last year, last year and a half of school. Yeah. So given that you were diagnosed, and I'm sure that, that would have been communicated with your teachers and to some of your schoolmates at least, mm. what was your experience of of school people understanding Mm -hmm. that and you know having empathy for that or understanding for that well i i'm going to start off and say my understanding now is that teachers are a lot better in schools and that they want to help and they're wanting to um understand kids which is really good like from what i've heard but when i was at school it definitely wasn't that way not for me uh, my brother and everyone else i know that's had to homeschool um a lot of it came from like ignorance um just lack of understanding came with like opinions um even people that were you know supposed to be around kids with disabilities um just having such a lack of understanding on how to how to cope with it how to deal with it and how to help a child with it was couldn't be more wrong um so it made life at school literally how like not just for me but for my parents when we had to come home like in such a like anxious shitty mood because I'm finally out like you know um yeah it was just it couldn't be worse like I still look back and I think like jeepers like after all that school training you actually wonder like you actually wonder how people um you know didn't understand but I think now that there's a lot more knowledge about it and a lot more um, people that are realizing traits in themselves, um, that it's more normalized. Uh, you know, everyone's on a spectrum. It's just what, like, part of the spectrum and how much, you know, like, everyone has little OCD things. Like, my mum has to check that she's locked the doors every night and make sure she hasn't left the oven on. It's just how obsessive they become and how, like, many stuff you have. But everyone's on a spectrum. It's just how much it impacts their daily lives. Um, For me, like, uh, I still struggle um, because I have the ASD and on top of that the ADHD and on top of that the OCD, they all contribute uh, contribute to it. Um, For me, with my ADHD, I'll forget. Like, someone has to remind me to brush my teeth. Uh, Someone has to remind me to shower, remind me to get up because I've got something going on. and that's usually my mum. <laughs> um, because I forget, like, uh, with daily routine, I don't remember. Like, I have to be reminded. Um, and then with the OCD, um, that's a completely different element. Like, once I'm in the shower, uh, all these little OCD habits are, like, triggering me. So I'm having to, like, now I fight against them, which means that they don't get worse and worse and worse. Um, which is what happened when I was younger. Um, But, you know, growing up before I had the ability to fight back, we had to, like, hire, like, uh, care workers and stuff to help me get up and get showered and get dressed, um, take me out in public places uh, just because of how severe everything was. But now that I have the ability to, like, do a lot of things myself, um I don't know yeah I'm just like really glad that I don't have like my life completely controlled but it makes me more like happy as a person and 
um, I don't know, I guess. So is it fair to say, Sophie, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but mm -hmm. so this, this stuff's still there for you, mm -hmm. but you're more in control of it now rather than controlling you. Is, yeah. that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, and it'll always be there for me. That's been something that's taken ages to accept. Even recently now, because it got to a point um, like up to like six months ago where I was doing really good with controlling it. But the last six months or even up to a year, it started to go a little downhill with my OCD. It gets harder and harder to control it because essentially what you have to do to keep on top of your control is you fight your OCD urges by doing like exactly what triggers you. And it makes like a, uh, something in your brain go off where it actually causes you pain and like it's such an icky, uncomfortable feeling. It's like um, one way I describe to friends is like that uncomfortable feeling when nails to a blackboard or um, something that like sometimes triggers, uh, triggers some of my friends is like, you know, when you have a cutlery that like scrapes the side of the bowl and it's that, that like, ugh, icky feeling. Um, well, that's exactly what I get with OCD, but it's just like times 10, like intensity. So yeah, it can be hard because you have to um, do what triggers you in order to keep on top of that so it doesn't get worse next time. Um, but it's meant in the last six months that I've had to like double my OCD medication. Um, but it just means, yeah, so I've, I've acknowledged that um, it was a good reminder that I'm going to have to do this my whole life. I'm going to have like up and downs with my control of my OCD. Um, but I just have to like mould to whatever it's like, whether that's... Go with it. Yeah, yeah, whether that's increasing or decreasing my medication. Yeah. Can I like ask that. you, sorry, just out of, out of interest, how do you know when to... There's reasons for me asking this, so I won't come into it, but I'm mm -hmm. just thinking about, you know, we quite often uh, are put on medication um, and unless we come off the medication, how we would know whether we still need it or not? Yeah. Uh, that was just a, a question I had about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, about my mum with with her illness. But mm -hmm. um, so for you, how do you know when you can adjust your medication? What's what are the signs and symptoms for you? How do you know that you can? Yeah. You talked about being <clears> up and down, you know. I mean, well, obviously, I have like um, uh, medication. I don't know if it's a psychologist or something, I can't remember the word, but um, I've had so much experience with uh, medication and trialing medication over my whole life, so I'm very good at picking up when things need to be increased, um, you know, because it's all chemically in the brain. Um, some things, for me, I've needed uh, medical help with, with medication, um, and I've known, like, how that's had a an impact on me like good impact and sometimes if it's not the right medication like growing up I'd I'd know because it wasn't helping um and I could tell purely by if my OCD was doing better or if it was doing worse and how intense it was um so I just like I just know like depending on how my OCD was and also talking with um like my doctors that uh do my medication um they're really experienced with um, other people that my age that take the same meds. So they also knowing me uh, have good suggestions and quite often we both think the same thing, like, oh, like, am I able to increase my meds? Yeah, I was going to suggest that, like, you know. So, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of experience with it over my life. Mm. So 
I should okay. go into medication. I should go into <laughs> being a private doctor. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Um, so at, at school then, um, I'm just I'm sort of leading up to you being homeschooled. So mm -hmm. I've read that you, you were bullied mm -hmm. um, because of your um, disorder or disorders. Was there anything in particular that you were bullied for? What was the... Yeah. Um, most because obviously I didn't know I had ADHD then and stuff. Uh, definitely the OCD and Tourette's. I used to have trigger words uh, when I was younger for OCD. In fact, I wasn't able to say them or anything until I was 16, maybe a bit older. Um, and So you couldn't say them yourself without triggering? Yeah, right. and the effects that I'd get when I triggered myself, like I couldn't say the. I'll tell you these words leading up the anticipation um <laughs> yeah and they all have funny meanings why these two words like I couldn't say them I couldn't spell them out loud I couldn't think of them in my head um otherwise I'd go into like a severe like tick attack just like um ticking like physically all over like just feeling that scraping like the blackboard kind of feeling icky feeling just really triggering me Quite often it would end up in like meltdowns on the ground right. um, if I was like thinking of these words over and over, if my yeah. little brother was teasing me with these words. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I couldn't hear other people say them. And these two words are actually like so common. Um, it's funny looking back at it now, but these two words were, um, I couldn't say love. And it had nothing to do with the meaning, like it wasn't... Um, the affection or anything behind it but I think yeah growing up I don't know why that one but from the age of like five I couldn't say it but it still kind of was triggered by the age of like four um but it meant that like my parents had to grow up I had to grow up with my parents like never hearing me say like I love you or you know what I mean so it well, does not be able to say it to you yeah exactly yeah. um when I was singing when I was younger you know how impossible it is to find a song that doesn't <laughs> say love in it. So it was, you know, I'd have to mould to that and, you know, I might have like a singing competition when I was younger and it would be kind of awkward because instead of saying the word love, I'd have to replace it with something like heart or like and it was, yeah, it was really weird. Um, but then when I started going to uh, a school which was like uh, religious-based, um, I... Uh, started to like really get triggered by the word Jesus <laughs> yeah Could be a problem. Yeah. yeah yeah so obviously going to like a religious school back when I was younger yeah. um that was impossible right um and over the years it just got more severe and I think it was because there was like a pressure of needing to constantly say that word or hearing it or mm. um the pressure of needing to like I don't know pray or things like that at school um just kind of put like pressure with that word um, it's it's so random. Like uh, for me, it could have been any words, um, but it meant that I grew up, and I had to endorse like hearing people constantly say the word. Oh, I love like this book or um, things like that. But it meant I constantly like I'd be having a conversation. I'd just like be ticking like little like spazzes going on, um, and it was hard to ignore. So that was hard with like socializing. Um, can't even remember where I was going with this, but now like I can say them, which is really good. But oh, it's, yeah. yeah, it uh. took me years to train. And, um, you know, I used to go to like these little like therapy sessions where they'd try and help me 
um, fight my OCD, but it wasn't until I was 15 and a half because I didn't go to that uh, anymore. Apparently, I don't qualify. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but it wasn't until I was like 15 and a half that I was able to do it myself. Um, yeah, uh, but those were like the things that would uh, go on at school, like kids saying these words because they heard out, they found out that these would give me reactions and so they go around oh come on guys let's say love in Jesus to Sophie oh guys don't you just love Jesus like you know mm -hmm. like things like that but then teachers just like you know oh that child's my my favorite in the class they would never do that they'd like say in front of the whole class like you're lying Sophie <laughs> but yeah but yeah I, uh, yeah, it's That's good. It's not to, helpful, is it? It's good to sometimes let it away because sometimes I can still hold on to it. Yeah. Like I'll still, I still like think about it and it mm. still is stuck with me because yeah. that's who I am as a person. But sometimes I have to like make myself forget about it because I get too like too into it if I'm having a conversation with someone who also had a bad experience with school. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, clearly you're able to say those words now. I don't know yeah, whether it's, I don't I know whether it's. my life back. <laughs> yeah, is, it, is, is, is medication helping with that? Or is that a lot of, of, of you being able to control things um, or both? Medication plays a big part. Uh, for me, it was a little different with gaining my ability to um, to have control. I think it's uh, – I know so many people with OCD and Tourette's and I'm the only person in regards to the Tourette's stuff that's been able to, like, over years stop my Tourette's, like – I haven't met anyone else. Like, there's no clinical thing to to how to stop or cure Tourette's. Um, I've met hundreds of people Tourette's, and I'm the only one that's been able to do it. And a lot of it is for me because everyone's different. Not everyone needs medication. There's so many different meds out there, but for me, the meds I was on helped give me that bound that ground base. Um, but for me, I needed to decide to change and it was all mental but I think without that ground base of meds I wouldn't have been able to get there but yeah I still think like dang like should I go into like a science like study or something because there's like no one else out there that's been able to gain control um so it fascinates me because a lot of it was just a mental choice um to be honest for me uh, at the time, I was going to church um, and I needed uh, that feeling of a higher power, feeling like I wasn't just in control, that there was someone else helping me. And at the time, like, that worked for me. Like, um, just being honest, like, I don't go now, but um, that, like, was what I needed, that feeling of there's actually someone else in control. And that was enough for me to, like, literally one second like I had control like it's it's crazy to think how um powerful our minds are um but yeah I think everyone's different but it's just it's still so like crazy to think about um yeah it's yeah. interesting it is interesting it really is yeah so thank you for sharing all of this I yeah, really appreciate it uh, in, in relation to the bullying side of things right because there are a lot of people who get bullied at school. Yeah. And, you know, and for, for a lot of different reasons. So, moving, you know, moving forward a little bit um, to the time when it was obviously getting too much. I mean, 
I was going to say kids can be mean. Kids are just kids, right? And yeah, but, yeah. But they don't realise the impact yeah. that they're having. Especially and it's quite when, significant, right? Yeah, especially when they don't grow up with OCD and all that. They don't know. Like it's easy to – I mean now I don't hold grudges towards like any of the kids because um, – Heck, like, if I didn't have Tourette's, like, I wouldn't, like, know what it is. Like, is it even real? Like, you know, any of those things without those experiences or without knowing people um, with them, it doesn't make sense, right? So I have no blame towards them. I guess the harder part was the lack of, like, um, doing anything on behalf of, like, the teachers or things like that, which was more important um, and stuff like yeah. that. So, so can you maybe? I don't want you to necessarily relive this, but I think it's important to share how it feels mm. to be bullied. Yeah, right. Definitely. Just, just in general terms. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm not so sure whether there'll be many kids that listen to this or not. Mm. But if there are, for instance, if there are parents who've got kids, mm. it's worth sharing um, with. You know, and like you said, like I think you know, this conversation so far has been about understanding. <laughs> And, and having knowledge, you know, if kids knew the impact they were having, mm. I'm sure most of them anyway, wouldn't do what they were doing if they really yeah. truly understood. Yeah. Because most of them are good kids. They're just, mm. they're not necessarily yeah. getting mm. the, the impact that they're doing. Some of them, don't get me wrong, are probably mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Would, do it, would still do it. <clears throat> but I think in the main, people are generally good on the inside. Yeah. And if they had better understanding, they might choose differently. Yeah. So I just wonder if you'd share with us what, what it feels like mm-hmm. um, to be bullied and the impacts yeah. of that. I think everyone, everyone's had that feeling of being bullied, whether it's your sibling or um, someone bigger and tougher than you in like sport or someone that says mean things. Like everyone has gone through that, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I think it's hard to make like a child understand when they're at um that like level of growth I mean you could make a child sit down and watch a documentary about Tourette's but you know until they actually understand um I think you need that level of maturity um just to understand how it can affect people um yeah it's trying to think ADHD moment it's all right. That's all right. No, what was so what I was asking was how how did it feel for you? You know, like I think mm-hmm. maybe it's you know like like we've said, understanding what Tourette's is, and I think what where you were going there, maybe Sophie, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you know younger kids aren't necessarily going to understand even if you explain yeah, them. Yeah, right? But yeah. just the fact that people are different and that there's something going on for them is all they need to know really to make a choice about whether they yeah, should that's true. pick on them or bully them for whatever it is mm-hmm. um, and sometimes it might be nothing it might just be the wrong time wrong place <coughs> wrong person type of thing <clears throat> but I was thinking about you know how does it feel being bullied like that you're quite mm. right I think everyone's experienced mm. what it feels like momentarily yeah to be to be bullied or, or put it in your place by someone or feel not so good about a, a situation but when it's happening day in day out yes you know, what's, yeah. the, what's the impact of that? Yeah. Um, I think if I was trying to, like, explain to a child, like, obviously the odd thing that kind of knocks you down, um, you have time to build yourself back up. But when it's every single day, um, it's keeping you 
at like a certain level of being like knocked down you know um yeah and the impacts can be like crazy like obviously that added to my anxiety and when my anxiety is worse it makes my OCD worse which makes my turrets worse because it's all like connected um yeah it got to the point where we had to be taken out of school obviously um but yeah like very isolating um I couldn't sit and eat lunch with anyone because kids I'd sit down and then they'd all stand up and leave so it is you know yeah but I think like yeah again it's hard to like make kids properly understand unless they go through something like that themselves but obviously that I guess I guess they'll learn sympathy and stuff as they get older but I think it's more so the parents job uh to try and make their kids understand or to have like genuine like one-on-one conversations with them or just uh I think I don't know I think how everyone's raised they all have like a level of sympathy based on um how they're raised like whether they're raised around animals um whether they're raised maybe in I don't know slaughter you know I I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's down to like the person um, but I think a parent definitely has a job of just as they're being raised uh, teaching them sympathy and then with that comes like understanding Um, yeah Yeah. I don't know talking of parents what was the toll on your parents when you were obviously if you were bullied at school and you were having a hard time of it and it was like you say it was not going to affect for these conditions <clears throat> that you've got these disorders yeah. you know that was taking its toll on you yeah in a big way I imagine it and mum's here mm. um I imagine that that would have taken a toll on your parents too yeah. knowing that you were feeling that way at school yeah yeah definitely because not only were they having to deal with our issues uh at home once we were at school which was when they were having a break their kids were then going through like so much and it wasn't a safe place for us so then they were also having the stress of like you know there's no they're not able to get that safe uh space time to themselves uh with sending us to uh, like a place that's supposed to be a safe space because it's not like a safe space for us so then it like resulted in homeschooling and then because yeah then like I don't know just another ADHD moment <laughs> I think I'm due my ADHD yeah, yeah. Meds. But so so it would have taken a, <clears throat> an, had an impact on the whole family yeah definitely mm. um and obviously yeah. obviously moving to homeschooling was uh-huh. a decision that your parents made mm-hmm. um so what was that what was that like moving the transition of no longer going to school and being homeschooled was was there a sense of relief there was there a sense of disappointment that you were not going to be relief. with friends relief relief because I only really had one friend anyway at school but because I'm such like I've always been a very social kid always been doing like gymnastics like four days a week when I was training because I was training like really long hours because gymnastics was my thing um, you know, uh, fun homeschool choir things, like going to homeschool groups. Like my parents knew without a doubt that I would not have any trouble with socialising. Um, 
So for me, it was such a relief. But it was it was really funny because when we look back at it, like my mum and I and my brother Malachi, um, the first year out of school when we were homeschooling, um, my mum really tried to stick to the like um, the learning structure. <clears throat> so she like made this classroom in our garage and our garage was so cold and she'd be like okay guys you've got she like ordered all these expensive like um, ministry of education books for us and obviously back then none of us knew that that's not how we learn um oh, medication alarm going off I'll just delete that um do you need to have a break Oh, no, no, it's fine. Okay. I'll, I'll take my night. It will take ages to kick in anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it was funny because we'd, like, be put in our, like, classroom. It was very cold and we'd have to finish a certain amount of units before we could have lunch. So it meant that we were locked in this classroom and we weren't allowed any food until we'd done our units, which obviously we were just like drawing things. And I've actually looked back at these books and it's so funny. The like the shit I wrote in them just so that I could fill up the pages. <laughs> but it was stuff like, how did Stacy enjoy her lunch? Well, she ate it, didn't she? Duh. <laughs> like <laughs> a bunch of attitudes. Like that was so funny. Oh, there's some really like, worrying like I don't know if I was mentally stable just the random <laughs> shit that I wrote in the books but um so clearly that didn't work and then we really went into <clears throat> for us because all three of us siblings we're very sensory based like I'm diagnosed with sensory processing disorder so very much like fluffy things just like like feelings like textures colors um, so we went to like kind of like a, uh, unschooled point of view, which was really cool because we were doing life skill stuff, stuff that we needed, um, to grow with because I think, you know, there's a lot of studies about, um, how kids with their child development need that kind of, um, that play and that, um, sensory based learning kind of stuff. And because we we're on the spectrum, we needed a lot more of that. So we kind of had like, we had what we needed a little bit earlier on, um, but it meant that we we grew so much in social skills. Like my, uh, the middle child, uh, he struggled a while with social skills, but through that, it was just like so much better for him and I. Um, we also learned like things with, you know, the amount of animals we had. With that came, um, you know, uh, what was the word I was using before? Like compassion for things, like just because. Empathy. Yeah, yeah, empathy. Um, and then we'd go to homeschool groups and, again, we'd go socialising and, you know, we'd do our math by going to the supermarket and, oh, what's the cheapest thing? How's it going to add up to? Like that was the stuff that we needed. Um but we also learned a lot about what we wanted to do, like who we were as people, because we weren't, it didn't feel like we were um, in a boundary, like we, our personalities like blossomed maybe too much, but because we weren't in like, um, a, like a super structural place, you know, obviously you need that like grounds structure, us. Um, but yeah. I'd like to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors. 
I'm really pleased to announce that we have Sharp New Zealand as a sponsor. And it's great to have Sharp on board because as a customer, I can speak about their products and services from personal experience. And it feels good to be able to endorse and recommend a company because of the level of satisfaction we have regarding the services they provide. And across my businesses, we've certainly been impressed with the care and collaboration we've experienced in our dealings with Sharp. It's certainly a brand that we trust. Sharp has a long history of creating breakthrough products designed to meet the needs of people living in New Zealand. Sharp's leadership in technology innovation ensures it's at the forefront of the pack, providing business solutions from printing and photocopying to interactive meeting solutions and ICT phone systems. No matter where you are or what size your organization, whether you're large or small, Sharp New Zealand can provide their services to you nationwide. If you're looking to upgrade your technology or renew your photocopier leases, talk to your local Sharp team or visit the website at sharp.net.nz. So what I was going to ask, Sophie, was my when I read that you'd been homeschooled, my stereotypical kind of perspective on that was that I can understand mm. the reasons for that, but maybe there'll be social implications. Mm. But what you've been describing is that maybe you were thriving more mm. being out of a very social environment at school, which for a variety of reasons you've described were not that great. Mm. Working at home or being schooled at home, you had the opportunities to maybe socialise in, in different and better ways mm. and and you maybe grew during that mm. time. Is that fair to say? Yeah, 100%. Like there's two factors for that, I think. And... Uh, growing with my personality and understanding who I am as a person. Um, and then also, like, you know, not having that judgment around whilst I, like, kind of discover who I am. Um, and the second one was the social groups that I was going to, like the homeschool programs. They were all environments with kids very much like me who um, weren't automatically judgy and decided who they were friends with and who they weren't. So there were no limitations um, which meant that I was able to be confident, um, which then obviously helped with my singing and my performing and um, me making friends as I get older, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, no, that's really cool. That's a really good insight for me. I, I'm, I'm, cool. I've learned a lot today already and that's, that's something yeah. valuable for me. That um, Totally. So then, well, that's a nice segue, by the way, into talking about your cool. singing. <laughs> Thank uh, you. You and, like what I did there? Uh, and writing. <laughs> and so when when for you um when did when did that become a thing how long have you been singing for and when did you kind of decide that that's something you wanted to do mm -hmm. well I liked singing and I started doing songwriting when I had my ninth birthday I was given a um given like a notebook so I started writing in there I might give you a little a little bit of my first song that I wrote. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, but I liked singing when I was about eight. Um, but I I wanted to do a solo in the school um, thing. But the um, I kept, like, trying to have confidence. And by the time, like, after, like, ten seconds, the lady was like, oh, well, you're just going to go in the back of the choir. <laughs> That was fine though. Um, yeah, so um, 
when I was nine, I started like writing little songs that I came up with. That's when I started. But then there was like a long period of when I just, I didn't after that. I got into musical theatre, which um, was kind of like my uh, passion for music and I found it. Um, local theatre, doing shows, that uh, added a lot to my personality because I was doing a lot of acting stuff. <clears throat> and being on the spectrum, <laughs> I was and I still am very expressive, like very out there. Like I will add on American accents and shit just to like <laughs> hype up whatever I'm saying, you know. So that like just added to my personality. And I met a lot of other people who are creative and generally people that are creative are also on some sort of spectrum. Um, so that was that was really cool. Um, and then I started you know, learning guitar when I was probably like 15. Um, and then I just kind of got it just piece by piece, a little taste of um, different uh, parts of the music, the local music scene um, with the confidence that I had through theatre as well. I started doing um, just random things. I'd be at uh, places um, where they'd have singers in a stage and I'd just go up the back uh, and just be like, hey, can I get on stage and sing? Like, I never, like, book gigs, but I would just ask them and then some of them, like, would be like, oh, yeah, okay. They'd let me on and then I'd sing, um, like, Hallelujah and the, the backing band. Well, like, oh, we know that song. We'll do it. So just little things like that um, where I'd get up spontaneously. Um, then I started to, like, just understand my passion, but it took a while for me to kind of step back from the theatre stuff and, and realise the stuff that I wanted to do as, like, a solo artist, if you like. Um, and I didn't even really see it as, like, a solo artist thing. I just wanted to create music. Um, <clears throat> and fortunately, I found, through doing a gig, I found my now manager. Um, he was, like, recruiting. Uh, he was trying to find people to, um, to do music with. Um, and that was like December 2019. And then fast forward to December 2020, we released my first song on Spotify um, called Insane. You guys can check it out if you want. <laughs> Sophie Mall's Spotify. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then a year after that, I started to actually do, or like half a year after that, I started to work with a producer. Mm -hmm. Um, in his studio doing songwriting sessions and that's when I started to get a taste for being um, like a recording artist you know um, doing it as a potential career um, and then I guess just as time went on um, more and more people backed me um, who genuinely like believed that I could do it and then I was like oh maybe I can actually do this as like a job mm. um, yeah and now uh, with like things that I've accomplished I actually like think like if I actually work really hard that there's a possibility to actually do it um, I've like my uh, my last single I've just released one now but the one before that got to number one on the Kiwi singles chart which is really cool mm. so just little things like that um, not little by the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> but things like that uh, make me realize like oh like I actually am in a position where I um, have a big enough platform and people enough uh, people around me to help that now it's just up to me to actually 
keep it going. Yeah. Um, yeah. World's your oyster. Yeah. So, you, so was was this not something that you know in your childhood you dreamed of doing, or you know, what did you want to do actually? Did you have I, any ideas? Yeah, there's lots of things that I have as a passion. Um, lots of things even now that I could easily do as like a part-time job or career. Um, but my dream very much being like a competitive gymnast was going to like worlds, going to Olympics. Um, and, you know, if I actually like stuck to that, maybe I could have. I had people in my team that are now doing that stuff, competing, uh, which was really cool. Um, I even had this guy when I was about five trying to convince my parents to move up to Auckland and for me to train with him in like the top gym sport of the country. <laughs> but we didn't do it, <laughs> which is probably good because otherwise I wouldn't do music. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like, you know, our life kind of just constantly goes through paths. Yeah. Um, and I acknowledge and accept that there's a chance and it would obviously be if I didn't put enough into it. But there's a chance that I might not do music, might not work out, um, it might be too stressful, you know. But there's so many things that I love to do, which, again, with homeschooling, I kind of found out um, that I, I like, I'll be sweet. Like, I'll be all good as long as I'm just happy, like, doing whatever, whatever I'm doing as long as I'm happy. So, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> a great attitude to have, eh? Yeah. Because I think no matter how, how good you are or how much you want something, yeah. There are things that are beyond your control. Right? Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, from what I hear and what I've read, uh, you're certainly on the right path, aren't you? That's for sure. I am. I am due to, like, the support of people around me. Um, yeah. It now just comes down to my work because yeah. that'll be the only thing that, that yeah. slows me down. And, and people are supporting you because they can see the talent that you've got and the potential that you've got, right? They wouldn't You wouldn't have that support if you weren't bringing something – you know, to the table, right? So don't undersell yourself. So I think you. whatever you do, you'll you'll be <laughs> amazing at. Um, can I talk about your songwriting? Mm -hmm. I'm interested in, in this, to be honest with you. A um, couple of things. Well, I'll, I'll get to, you know, <clears throat> the songs that you've written. You can talk about those in a second. But mm -hmm. what's the process for you? I, I'm interested because yeah, I, I, secretly – Mm -hmm. Don't tell anyone. But um, I've always fancied myself. <laughs> well, I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Until I get told to shut up. Um, but I, I, but I actually, thing. I actually, I've always liked the idea of being a songwriter, uh -huh. a lyricist, or whatever you call it, mm -hmm. right? But like I said, I think before we started this interview, I don't have a kind of musical bone in my body. I, I love music. Have you actually songs. sat down and have you actually tried to write a song? No, I, I haven't. I think you'll find that there is a musical part in your body <laughs> you just have not discovered yet. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I've, I've, I've written poetry and other stuff, but I've not I, – I, I think the thing is for me, and this is why you can maybe answer this question for mm -hmm. me, is I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah. I can't imagine mm – -hmm. the thing that I've got <clears> the barrier is <clears throat> do the words come first or do you get a tune first? Or, you know, like I can – make up words to existing tunes and songs, mm -hmm. but I can't imagine how to write words that you know, would, would eventually have a tune that goes with it. So what's your process? Yeah, I know what you mean because you can look at a finished product of a song and be like, dang, like what is the process behind like even not just the song, not like the singing and the, um, the melody, but also the backing track, like all the little and, and like <laughs> – 
like things in the back <laughs> track. It's just everything. It's hard to break it apart, right? But I'm going to give you a challenge. I'm going to tell you some <laughs> songwriting tips and I want you to go home later and try and write a song. All right, then. You can, you might not. I don't know. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I'm up um, for a challenge. Yes, okay, sounds good. Um, so really there's not like any rules um, there's different types of structures, but it all comes down to what you come up with at the time. Like for me, um, it, it can be different. Um, I might have a melody in my head that I like just made up without thinking about it. And I'll be like, oh, this would be cool as a song. I'll just record it on my um, voice memos on my phone. And then when I'm in a songwriting mood, I'll sit down on my piano, which I'm like, I can't properly play. <laughs> By the way, I just come up with a few things, send it to my producer, and then he actually does the real work. Um, but then I'll, when you come up with a melody, right, there's like a cadence. There's like, um, you know, uh, syllables like um, if uh, – this is a song I already know. It's already real. But you might do um, – um, there's so many ways that you could do that melody, like da 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 da. You know, you you start to come up with um, a pattern with that melody, and with that pattern, you just randomly say random words that might come to mind. Da 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 da. Somebody else with that, like somebody else. Or um, it comes with like a vibe. You might feel like it's a happy song, a heartbreak song. You might feel like you're on an island. Like you have to visualize everything, and with that one or two words you come up with start to form a sentence based off those words. And it might not be the vibe, so you change it later on. Um, but with that, you start to form a bit of structure. And you might work on that melody. You, might, you have to try and add to that melody with another melody that kind of matches that one. You might, like, times it by two. Um, once you get, like, for that one little part of melody, once you get, like, a, a sentence, then you know what your next sentence will be about, like, based off what the first one's about and then you have like a verse and then you can work on a chorus based off like the melody could be the same kind of key that the first one is so it's not like random notes um yeah <laughs> i'm just giving you everything but you know but then i might sit down and want to write a song i might go to poetry things if i'm you i might go into like things that rhyme and things and then i might have a bunch of stuff written down that rhymes and that would fit in the same time like frame of each other. Um, and then I just come up with a random melody, put it on top. Um, the thing is like you might not like this melody or you might feel like you can do so much better, but as long as you continue it and you finish a part of the song or you finish a song, you can then go back and change it. One thing I've learned and a lot of people struggle with um, is if I – keep working at this one tiny portion of this song that I have yet to write um, because I can't find the melody that I really want. The reality is I don't end up finishing the song and I lose interest and I move on because what I actually need to do is just, even if I don't like it that much, finish that part. So then I get to the next part of the song. I might write something I really like. Then I can go back to the part I didn't like and change it. Um, but you'll have... You have like an advantage with your poetry, right? You've already got words written down. Um, you can come up with a melody and then you might change those words, but at least you've you've got the base of a melody. 
yeah, it's, there's so many ways. It, it's however you feel like, what you feel like doing next now that you know a few of the little steps. Awesome. It's whatever you feel like doing, whatever you can get creative with. Yeah. Watch some YouTube videos. So awesome. Thank you. For <laughs> that. no, that's, that's really cool. So what, what you were explaining there as well, something came to mind. So <clears throat> not getting stuck on a bit and mm -hmm. working at it until you've got it perfect. It's actually moving on and being that. willing to come back to yeah. it like, rather than mm -hmm. constraining your creative thinking. Is that, is that mm -hmm. what you're saying? Yeah, you've got to keep the flow. Otherwise, yeah. you don't end up finishing that part and you move on because you get bored. Yeah, yeah, true, mm. true. So for you, um, we'll get to performing in a second, but what's the best part, the, the, the songwriting or the performing? <clears throat> it depends how I songwrite. Sometimes I songwrite on my own, but there's nothing I love more than songwriting with my producer in like studio and then having like our friend who also does songwriting, like things like that, how there's just a bunch of minds getting creative. Like mm. um, I love songwriting when there's a backing track being produced. So if I'm doing it on my own in like my house, so this is why I'm starting to learn a little bit about production now so that I can start creating like even like shit sounding backing tracks it's just to get the process of it um but i might be trying to songwrite on my piano but i can't hear the bigger picture how it would sound as a backing track because i'm only hearing it as piano um but when i'm in a songwriting studio um you know the tracks being developed as we're songwriting so i can actually hear the beats and um envision the finished product so that I'm coming up with all these stuff and then my producer will be like wait what if you do this and I'll be like yo how about this like just constantly flowing within ideas um <clears throat> and then there's the fun part of sweet we've written this part of the song quickly hit in the booth quickly record this so we have it written down we don't forget um then you're back out of the booth and you go back to writing and then you're like oh let's try and do some stuff with this backing track add some like bass and you know mm. Really cool, really cool. So I love that. Don't get me wrong. I love standing on a stage with everyone looking at me. <laughs> but I love that feeling, that adrenaline of getting creative. Um, I do I do like, I do love the atmosphere of a studio, but it is my job to be able to do it anywhere. Like I can't limit myself in just doing it in a studio because that's what I've done for a while, but I'm trying to now – Okay, actually songwrite on your own, Sophie. You're supposed to be able to do this, and I know I can. Um, but, yeah. But there is something, I think, <coughs> energizing and powerful and motivational mm. with working with other people, right? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so performing then. <coughs> Talk to me about that. I, I read that um, you were more confident as a performer once you were homeschooled. Mm -hmm. that, oh that yeah I wouldn't have been able to stand on stage I wasn't even able to like put my hand up in class right. I would not have been able to stand on stage yeah yeah so I'm, I'm interested you know in, in with your with your background and your story of being at school being bullied mm -hmm. dealing with the, the you know the um, ASD and the, the other things you've talked about you know for, for me it seems very courageous and brave Having not, you know, fully understood, you know, the, the conditions that you've been dealing with before, um, again, just having that kind of outside perspective, like getting up on stage and performing, that's, mm. I mean, it seems like a big, big leap, but is that something that you find easy to do? Is it good for you to do that? Yeah. 
Um, over time, I've like gotten used to it through theatre. Uh, we'd do shows, um, you know, some shows we've done like in Baycourt and they've been like three weeks back to back and you're on stage in front of hundreds of people every night. So you get used to that, um, being able to process that. Um, I think that's the hardest part, depending on how big the audience is. Um, like <clears throat> uh, last Christmas, 2022, I'm trying to remember what year it is, <laughs> um, I was really um, happy to be a part of Christmas in the Park Auckland, which was like the biggest performance I've probably sung in front of. Um, there was probably like, I don't know, 20 to 30,000 people there at that time, I think. And then at the end, there was probably like, 80,000 or 50,000 or something like that yeah. um torrential rain as well yeah. so people I was I was covered under the stage but the people like watching the audience were dedicated um <laughs> yeah that was like you get used to acknowledging that you don't process the amount of people that are watching you but it's just it's getting used to the fact that you don't that you don't process it you're just there you're in a character you switch like you have switched into your confident self, but you just love that rush of adrenaline. Um, yeah, I guess it takes someone that enjoys that adrenaline, that it doesn't make them feel sick, and then you're fine on stage. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just being able to acknowledge that you don't process the amount of people that are like looking at you, but still being able to like remember your words uh remember you know where I'm walking on stage at what point of the song and where I'm dancing you know mm -hmm. I love it though very much that sounds really cool all right yeah you're, you're braver than I am um <laughs> you've got it in you you've got to be performing on stage next uh, for a song I haven't written yet but yeah anyway. yeah it's true so how does your um ADHD and things like that how do you how do you manage that when you know you've got a performance is that something you consciously need to manage in order to be able to prepare and, and actually execute? Mm -hmm. I have to take my meds because if I'm on stage, like I could very easy, easily forget my lyrics just because I'm struggling to process how many people are in the audience or things like that. Like, yeah. oh, there's a lot of people looking at me right now. Or I might just, like, get lost. So I'm, I tend to, if I don't take my meds, sometimes if I do take my meds, but this is why I need my meds. If I'm on stage, I always, like... Um, I always go almost like an out-of-body experience because my body is physically like performing, yeah, yeah, like blah, blah, blah. But my mind is just like, oh, no, I'm having fatigue. <laughs> like I'm not even there. Like I'm, you know, when you're, um, you're reading and your eyes are physically looking at the book, but your mind is like up there. Yeah. That's what I'm doing when I'm singing. But if I don't have my meds, I go too far away. And then all of a sudden I forgot like where I'm at, like where I'm up to in the song right. or the next lyrics. Yeah, yeah. And does that, <clears throat> you know, create some anxiety for you? It does. That's why I have to take my meds because otherwise I know that it could happen. Yeah. And so, but otherwise I'm fine. There's always a bit of anxiety, but not anxiety, just a rush of adrenaline. I guess the only anxiety I get before performing isn't the fact that I'm in front of loads of people because I love that, mm. um, but just the anxiety that you're that I'm going to drift away and uh, forget lyrics. Mm. But um, I'm usually fine. Like I'm I'm with a theatre background. I'm very good at improvising on the spot. 
Um, so I'm always able to like back myself up if, if it comes to it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Which is good. So obviously that's a, a, a driver for you. You enjoy performing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read about that. You've said that today. Is, is this, where do you see your career going? What's, what does it look like for you? If, if, if all things go your way, mm-hmm. which way do you want it to go? Yeah. Um, I guess my view of whereabouts, because it could be successful on this path, this path, this path, this path, this path. It just depends, like, which path I want to go down um, and how much work I put in. But for me now, because I'm sure it'll change as I get to different, like, destinations and goals and stuff, um, now I just want to be able to, because I usually have current goals, um, I want to be able to, um, at the moment, because it's like a business, right? Um, my music is like a business. It's it's full on. Like the music side of it is actually this like the smallest part. It's actually all the stuff around it. Um, but I want to be able to be successful in like the aspect of being able to get an income from it. Um, yeah, I think all musicians most have to have a side job anyway of like income because it's just so expensive. Um, but just being able to, uh, make money from it, um, so that I'm, because everything that I make at the moment, I just put back into my music pot. Like, I don't keep any of it to myself. I just keep adding to the pot. But what I'd like to be able to do is not have to put back into the pot, like start to make a bit of a living from it. Um, I want to be like a public figure in New Zealand would be really cool, kind of like um, LAB, um, Benny, like these artists that I look up to, like Paige, like not to the point where you're like hauled on the streets and like, you know, you can't go anywhere, but I'd love to be someone that people know and they might not know me, but they'll see me walking on the street and they just say hi to me. You know, that'd be cool. Someone that uh, obviously... Um, encourages people as well especially people uh on the spectrum and stuff um just encourages people to like go for like their goals because literally one thing I've realized is you actually can do what you want to do it's actually like doing it doing the little steps towards it and having like um support around you but you literally can do it um yeah I also just want to be doing all the makeup, uh, makeup? So now I'm saying random, all the songs that I could come up with, all the songs that I want to be doing, I want to be making them and releasing them and I want to be like touring around and doing shows without having to like, because it's so stressful now being, um, you know, a new artist and not having like all the finances behind that you could do with (laughs) um it would just be great to be able to do these shows regularly um just be up there in the industry like working alongside people that I look up to now um just for the fun of being creative with someone that you look up to who's also very creative I think that would be really cool um I've had a little taste of what could be to come of the industry and just being able to like talk to 
people that I've always really idolised, um, other people that are higher in the music industry in New Zealand, like it's giving me such like a um, um, motivation mm-hmm. to like keep going like, oh, like I have the p- privilege and not a lot of people do to like talk to these people that inspire me, um, giving me a bit of motivation to like keep going and keep like uh, being able to kind of be in the same space or talk to these people that, um, yeah, that I look up to all yeah, this stuff. It's pretty know, cool, eh? Yeah, it's pretty so cool, cool to meet people that are inspire you. Yeah, yeah, literally, people that like other people, like you know, love their music or like idols they look up to as well. Um, just like having this little bit like closer, or like now that I'm in the music kind of industry, means that I am able. I'm just one step closer to all like of my idols, mm. and I'm kind of at a place where I can kind of talk to some of them. Um, which is really cool. Um, yeah, it just keeps on cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's what you've got to keep doing, isn't it? Keep focused yeah. on where, you, yeah. where you're heading and, and keep what, moving in that direction. What I can do as well to keep me because yeah. people around me can only do so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, really cool. So what you talked about your songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, I've listened to some of your songs on, like you said, on Spotify oh. um, and watched your videos on YouTube. <clears throat> oh, um, awesome. All pretty cool. What is it do you like to write about? What have you have you? Is it can you write about anything, or do you like to kind of have a focus? It depends. Sometimes I'll sit down and be like, I don't know what I'm writing, but I will start with a melody and it will go from there. Other times I'll be like, I want to write about a specific song. I feel like I haven't touched a lot of, um, I haven't touched on this kind of emotion in my other songs, so I want to focus on that. Um, with my latest song that came out, Goosebumps, I've never done this before and finished a song, but I was like in the bath and you know when you get goosebumps? Um, I was like yelled out for my mum, oh, mum, can you quickly text me the word goosebumps? I think it'd be cool to like have a song that's titled Goosebumps. (laughs) So I started from there and I went to the studio and I was like, let's write a song about goosebumps. And then we're like, oh, like what kind of, emotions do you get when you get goosebumps could you have like something where you look at someone that you like and you get goosebumps like you know like it's this there's no rules like it depends how I'm feeling it honestly depends how I'm feeling yeah, yeah, yeah. which is that's, cool that's cool that's cool yeah. yeah we 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 get goosebumps in our house we call them goosies when we <laughs> uh when we listen to people like you sing oh cool yeah yeah you know it just has that effect on people music does have a massive effect on people right yeah i think it's funny because my dad and my mum they'll be listening to some like old singer or something and they'll be like oh it's giving me goosebumps (laughs) but it's funny i think i've only ever gotten like um and this isn't because people don't impress me people impress me a lot but i've never had goosebumps from someone impressing me Mm. i think i've only had it once but it might, I, I might have just been cold. But it's funny that, like, there's loads of people that actually physically get goosebumps when something, like, you know, makes their hair stand up, like something that they're, like, mm. wowed about. Yeah. Um, but I've never, like, actually had that, yeah. which is really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get emotional, spiritual goosebumps when I hear someone <laughs> singing amazingly. <laughs> well, Sophie, I'd like to thank you for your time and your openness and honesty yeah. about um, – your your life, your character, um, as well as giving all the secrets away about how to, to write songs. <laughs> I'll be honest Thank with you. you. 
I, I don't know that I'm going to be any good, even though you give me that. <laughs> but I do appreciate that. Um, it's it's great to be talking to you now um, before you're too big a star and we we can't fit into your schedule. You can always book me in for another <laughs> podcast sesh, dude. Well, that would be good. That would be good. And we will because um, I'm sure that uh, in the not-too-distant future you're going to continue to to rise um, as, a, as a star in New Zealand and beyond, I've no doubt. Um, so I, I'd just like to say as well, I think, you know, with, with the things that you – and I don't – Please don't take this in a condescending way or anything like that. But given what your story and your background and all the things that you've you've been dealing with, I think it's amazing that you are who you are today sitting in front of Thank me. You. Um, being so articulate and open about, about these things and sharing. Um, you'd be a great advocate for young people who are dealing with those things. And like you I think you said earlier, um, you know, you can your your proof that you can actually do what you want to do, yeah. no matter what the constraints are. Mm -hmm. So I think you're a great role model for, for anyone, um, but especially young people. Thank you. You've got a great story to, to tell, and I'm grateful for you sharing it with us today. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Well, me too. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. As you will hopefully know by now, if you've seen other episodes, this segment of the podcast is all about wisdom worth sharing from our guests who have been living a life that is a story worth retelling. At the end of every interview, I look back as part of the editing process and discover some of the gems that came out during the conversation, and I summarise them here. Now, I have to admit that before meeting Sophie Maud, I was a little bit apprehensive about the interview. Not because I didn't think her story was worth retelling, I knew that it was, but I was a little bit insecure about interviewing someone so young, whether I could relate, but primarily it was about talking about things that I knew very little about, such as the autistic spectrum disorders. I'm one of these people who can easily put my foot in it, and often do, and with matters like this I was nervous of doing so. But I think that's part of the issue though, isn't it? Those of us who've never had anything to do with or have been diagnosed with any kind of disorder like that, or we don't have anyone close to us who has, we know very little about it which can make us nervous, or blissfully ignorant and potentially hurtful. If we knew a bit more, maybe life for everyone would be a little bit easier. After meeting Sophie and uh, Mum Sarah, I knew a bit more, but importantly, I knew that I needed to know a little bit more still. So I'm going to continue to find out as much as I can about these disorders for everybody's benefit. I'm going to have to start again. I don't know what it is with the pace of it. It just seems like it's it's either too fucking slow or too fast. I know, but normally, like if I put space, where I've got spaces like that, then I have to wait for it. Yeah, fuck it. Okay. I think it's just I'm not in the right headspace. I think that's what it is. It's not the auto cues fault. It's mine. As you will hopefully know by now if you've seen other episodes, this segment of the podcast is all about wisdom worth sharing from our guests who have been living a life that is a story worth retelling. At the end of every interview, I look back as part of the editing process and discover some of the gems that came out during the conversation 
and summarize them here. Now, I have to admit that before meeting Sophie Maud, I was a little bit apprehensive about the interview. Not because I didn't think Sophie's story was worth retelling, I knew that it was. But I was a little insecure about interviewing someone so young, and whether I could relate. But primarily, it was to do with talking about things that I knew very little about, such as autistic spectrum disorders. Now, I'm one of those people who can easily put my foot in it, and often do, and with matters like this, I was nervous about doing so. But maybe that's part of the issue. Those of us who have never been diagnosed with such disorders, or we don't know anyone close to us who has, we know very little about it, which can make us nervous, or we can be blissfully ignorant and potentially hurtful. If I knew a bit more, maybe life for everyone would be a bit easier. And after meeting Sophie and her mum, Sarah, I do know a little bit more now, but importantly, I know that there's a lot more to find out still. So I'm going to continue on that journey. Anyway, regarding the interview, I needn't have worried about the interviewing Sophie. The confidence that she had when she walked into the studio was amazing. Instead of me doing, to, doing so with her, she put me at ease, saying I could ask anything and that there was no such thing as a stupid question. Now, of course, when I'm around, there is, um, and I usually ask at least one. But in this interview, it felt just so easy, so natural, and just as I'd always intended and hoped for them to be. It was just a conversation between two people genuinely interested in chatting and sharing their thoughts. I was moved by Sophie's heartfelt story of dealing with multiple disorders on the autistic spectrum. And I was also entertained by her humor and the joyful way in which she told her story. It could have been a story of you know, full of woe and misery, with Sophie being the victim. And don't get me wrong, some of that story did make my eyes a bit blurry, thinking about that poor child suffering that way, being picked on about her condition and making it worse by the actions of kids at school. But Sophie didn't give the impression she was a victim. In fact, it was the opposite. She forgives those kids and she loves who she is. She loves the fact that she's on the spectrum, she says, because it makes her different, gives her a different perspective. And rather than view this as something that could hold her back, blocking opportunities that other may have, mothers may have, she uses her uniqueness as a superpower to do things only others could dream of. This not only enables her to be creative, but it gives her the strength to put herself out there in front of thousands of people performing her own songs on stage. Given the disorders that Sophie has been diagnosed with, ASD, OCD, ADHD, anxiety, Tourette's, and sensory integration disorder. She could be forgiven for not wanting to perform on stage, but she does it, and she does it extremely well. She's a fantastic young singer and songwriter, an amazing talent, and I'm looking forward to following her journey and seeing where she goes. I suspect she'll be a big star in the not-too-distant future. What stood out for me in her story was how formal diagnosis was not devastating for her but it was a relief. Being diagnosed meant that not only could Sophie access medication that helps her, but it set her free. She could now understand herself and work out how to live with her disorders rather than be a prisoner to them. I know that this is not always possible in some extreme cases of such disorders, so I'm not suggesting here that it's just a matter of attitude for everyone. What I am saying is, as a young girl who was bullied and humiliated at school, she could have easily stayed quiet and shy and in the background not wanting to be noticed not drawing attention to herself. But she chose to step out from the shadows 
and become a rising star. With the diagnosis, the parents could also get the help that they needed and they could understand their daughter better and learn how to provide her what she needed to thrive, which included homeschooling. I have to admit that this story changed my stereotypical view on homeschooling. It didn't, as I would have suspected, create social problems for Sophie. Instead, it gave her the confidence to grow and be who she is, which led to a much better social relationships and experience than she was having at school. Being willing to be open and transparent about her disorders meant that Sophie's friends could also understand her and learn how to work with her instead of them fighting against each other through ignorance and frustration. It also helps Sophie be selective about friends because those who don't want to understand, well, they're not worth wasting time on. Listening to Sophie's story created a question for me. In the leadership space, I teach that leading's about caring and that to care we must be aware of the people and their needs so that we can work together in the best possible ways. It's extremely likely that our schools, workplaces, sports teams and community groups are full of people with autistic spectrum disorders. Some say, and Sophie did herself, we're all on the spectrum to a lesser or greater degree. So how useful would it be for us all to have a greater understanding of how we all function and what we all need? I think it could be life-changing. It could enhance our workplace cultures, enhance our education outcomes, and our teams and our community groups could thrive if we just knew each other a little bit better. I'm not sure how feasible that really is, but it's a question worth asking, surely. So I think I will. As a result of this conversation, my family and I are already looking at how can we get assessed, because we think it could be invaluable. As well as being an amazing musical talent, don't forget to check out Sophie Maud's um, Spotify account, by the way, some fantastic songs on there. Sophie's a storyteller who can teach us all a thing or two about taking time to understand, about forgiveness, and being willing to open up and share for the benefit of others. In my view, Sophie has a beautiful mind. It may have troubled her as a child and still gives her challenges now, but it's also made who, her who she is today, a confident, intelligent and articulate young person who knows what makes her happy so she chooses to do that. Hopefully, you've been able to take away many insights from this interview that you can apply in some aspect to your life, work and legacy. Use it, share it with others. As I always say, sharing is like teaching and teaching helps us retain what we've learned and commit to change, which is necessary if we are to enhance our own life's work. I hope that you're happy, safe and successful in all that you do. And remember, live a life that's a story worth retelling. I'm Steve Worsley, and I look forward to seeing you next time on Life's Work, the podcast all about wisdom worth sharing.